everybody, and uh, welcome to uh, the Building Resilience in Uncertain Times webinar. My name is Sam Yushio, and uh, I am the principal of the Ikei Lab, a Seattle-based uh, purpose-driven change management firm. And uh, with me here today are Erica Mouch uh, and Chris, uh, Krista Steinbach. Uh, and what we've put together today is uh, a webinar that's focused on a combination of, of three things. Uh, it's focused on mindset, movement, and nutrition. And what you'll find uh, in this uh, roughly 30 to 35, 35 minute conversation is that sometimes computer screens aren't stable. Uh, what you'll find <laughs> in this conversation is that one thing I'm gonna talk about is uh, that humor uh, releases oxytocin. So that wasn't by design, but hopefully you're laughing right now and getting some endorphin lift out of that, out of my computer screen falling. Um, so what you're going to find through mindset, movement, and nutrition is that uh, we're all going to center on awareness. So we're all going to talk about awareness and how can you uh, draw awareness uh, in a way that's productive and enhances resilience. Um, all of our topics are going to center on um, awareness, but also practical tips that you can deploy uh, right now immediately, uh, while most of us are still uh, relatively quarantined in our home. Uh, so first, just let me give a quick um, background on our two panelists here. Uh, so Erica is a Seattle-based registered dietitian nutritionist. Uh, she practices health at every size, uh, a very unique approach that she's going to talk about, and also uses intuitive eating as a key method to guide clients through a healthier relationship uh, between food and the body. And Krista Steinbach is a, a Minneapolis-based certified Soma yoga teacher. Uh, and the co-founder of Whole Me, a grain food, a grain-free food company based in St. Paul, Minnesota. Uh, Soma Yoga is uh, an interesting expansion on the yoga movement uh, that really emphasizes the mind-body connection with an emphasis on somatic and movement. Um, so first, uh, just let's talk about resilience and what is resilience. So if we start off with just what is resilience, I think what's most important is that resilience isn't a personality trait. It's not something that we're born with. Um, it's behavior, it's actions, it's thoughts, and it's ultimately anything that anyone can develop at any time. So in this moment right now, uh, if you make uh, the decision that you want to uh, build more resilient or become uh, more resilient in light of all the uncertainty that's out there. Just committing to that uh, intention uh, is powerful. Um, yeah, I, there's a there's a line that I found that said uh, resilience is ordinary. It's not extraordinary. And I think oftentimes when we think about words like resilience or grit, a lot of these positive psychology terms that have a tendency to float out in uh, you know in in um, different uh, media outlets or social media posts or just inspirational messages, oftentimes it feels like it's aspirational. It's something that's, that's really big and difficult to achieve, um, but it is very ordinary. It's not an extraordinary, and a, a lot of it just comes down to an investment of time and an intentionality. Um, in our brains is something called the reticular activator, uh, the reticular activator. And one way to think about the reticular activator is that it's the gatekeeper of information. Uh, for our consciousness. Um, I like to think of it as the bouncer. It's a bouncer that allows information to go into your consciousness and starts to um, enact the uh, behaviors, the decision-making that you want to, uh, to, to, to take or that you actually end up taking. And so kind of a simple example is if, you know, if you're in the market for buying a car or if you're in the market for buying a phone or if you're I'm considering something. So say I'm, I'm considering buying a red Toyota Camry and I start to do research on that. What's gonna happen when I jump in my car and start to drive, I'm gonna start to notice that there are more red Toyota Camrys on the freeway than I noticed before I started to go through that, that exercise. And so that's the reticular activator serving as, um, as the gatekeeper of information. I'm allowing uh, a heightened awareness toward Toy red Toyota Camrys in this in this example. 
And I think the reticular activator is incredibly powerful right now in the sense that um, what we are focusing on, what we want to be more intentional about uh, is going to inform that bouncer. It's going to inform that gatekeeper on what we allow uh, into our minds or into our consciousness to start to steer our decision making. Um, you know, the other part of this is just the, your perspective. So I think a lot of our perspective can, has a, can have a tendency in moments like this um, where we can look at uh, the, the we can look at the challenge in a way that's either a hindrance, oftentimes it's a hindrance, but uh, how can we start to shift that perspective to opportunity? Um, and what we'll talk through today uh, on the, the mindset movement and nutrition will equip you with some very practical to, tools to elicit that. So just in terms of mindset, um, I, I think uh, one important, or uh, just a couple of uh, uh, quick tips in terms of mindset. Uh, I think ultimately it comes down to, in moments like this, uh, to a combination of uh, um, values and strengths, values and strengths. And so the way that I view that, the way that, that I engage clients uh, in the Ikigai Lab is through a combination of subjectivity and objectivity. So subjectivity is the values that you possess and the values that you hold. Um, and those values, embracing those values and understanding those values, knowing those values can be incredibly powerful in moments like this. They can be incredible, incredibly powerful in any moment, but in particular, when there's a lot of uncertainty out there, it's one very simple accessible tool that you can deploy uh, to uh, equip yourself um, uh, to, you know, to navigate these uncharted waters. And so an exercise, a very simple exercise is just to take a moment um, and you could do this moment right now, is just to write down uh, three values that resonate very deeply or that you hold very deeply um, to help you chart your course so that when you hit these moments of awareness where uh, it feels like I'm a little bit anxious, if I just you know, opted into Twitter and looked at the news stories um, and now I'm feeling uh, you know, un uncertain, um, when you can come back on these values, these three core values, it starts to give you that ability to shift that perspective uh, toward um, more uh, hopeful, optimistic, what can I do or how can I uh, take steps to be uh, more intentional. So values is subjective to all of us. Uh, there are exercises that you can deploy that I won't talk about today where you can get into a, a more introspection driven uh, set of values kind of going through your journey and thinking about your journey uh, to this point and how that journey and those experiences influence your values. So that's the subjective part. On the objective part, uh, strengths, so I'm a Gallup certified strengths coach. Uh, Gallup uh, Clifton Strengths, formerly known as Strengths Finder, is a tool that's very accessible. You can buy the book on Amazon, Strengths Finder 2.0 for I believe $20, $25. Uh, in the back of that book, you'll have a code and you answer uh, a 40 minute, a uh, 40 minute uh, assessment, questionnaire assessment that will give you a baseline on um, the top five talents that you have uh, based on an assessment that, that's been used globally by 25 million people. And so the combination of those two, understanding subjectively what are my values and then understanding objectively from a research-based scientific method, uh, what are my top five talents, really equips you with the tools from a mindset perspective to start to move into um, you know, uncharted waters with more uh, resilience and more intention. Um, just a couple other quick quick points here, and then I'll, I'll uh, hand it off to Erica. Um, Laughter is the best medicine. And I wish I could say that I intentionally made my computer screen fall at the beginning, but I did not. Uh, but there is science behind this. So, you know, when you look at um, laughter, uh, even if it's just smiling, um, so hopefully you just smiled like right there. If you force yourself to smile, even if you're not feeling necessarily happy, that starts, it's kind of a hack for the brain that triggers to the brain that, hey, there's something happening here on a, from a physiological perspective that, um, that could psychologically or that could uh, affect the psychology of how I'm feeling. It starts to release endorphins, uh, 
and uh, elicits, um, you know, that starts to trigger the chemicals in the body that can make you start to feel happier. Uh, so, you know, in that vein, I, I think just something simple that you could do right now is you could write down uh, a movie or a TV show that you love, that makes you laugh, a comedy, uh, something that you've watched at some point in life, maybe something all the way back to childhood, but just something that um, brings a smile and then commit to watching that over the course of the next week or so. So that's something that's very simple. It's something very accessible, something that you can gain uh, very easily. Um, the last is uh, it's just a combination of, of, um, of um, a focus on hope and optimism. Uh, that you know, out of the Gallup organization, there's some great information that's talked about hope as hope is our greatest asset. Uh, there's a quote here that I'm going to read, and it says, "It's hard to be successful without being hopeful. Uh, when you think the future will be better than the present, you start working harder today." And I think that's really important. Um, you know, we're we're in a very fluid, dynamic environment where things are constantly changing. Uh, we're worried about the future. Um, but if we can be hopeful and start to re-engineer our perspective toward the optimistic, optimistic uh, elements of our situation, of our day, um, that gives us hope. And that is uh, something, a quality that's enduring and lasting. Um, the final, I said that was the last, but this is actually the final, and then I'll hand it off to you, Erica, is, uh, is mindfulness. Um, so there's a button down here at the bottom that says, uh, raise your hand. Um, and I'm just curious if, if, if you're practicing, currently practicing mindfulness, if you could just click that raise a hand button. I'm just curious how many of you are currently deploying uh, mindfulness-based tactics or techniques. Okay, so we've got roughly a little less than half of the group. Uh, it's probably about 40%, thank you. Um, so mindfulness, you know, has a tendency, uh, it's very um, uh, intriguing, it's, uh, it's kind of pop culture these days. I think mindfulness has a tendency to become um, something that could have barriers to entry uh, um, because it's misunderstood. Uh, you know, the way that I think about mindfulness, I think both Krista and Erica are going to talk about different practices that they use through their expertise um, that draws awareness and mindfulness. Uh, you breathe roughly 23,000 uh, times per day. And the way that I like to think about that is you've got 23,000 opportunities to practice mindfulness. Um, so it's very, in very simple terms, if we remove a lot of the, the stigma of mindfulness, it's just basically paying attention to your breath. Um, or another way to do that from a practical sense to deploy it, it um, very, in a very simple way is to look at your existing habits and routines and then just be intentional about what you're doing. So a couple uh, habits and routines um, that most of us are doing on a daily basis is you, you, most of us drink coffee or some type of warm liquid in the morning. When you're doing that coffee, you're doing that tea, whatever you're doing that habit in the morning, just be mindful of what you're doing. That's one. Number two, your meals. Be intentional about your meals. Uh, think about what you're eating. I think Erica will get into this uh, in more detail. And then last is brushing your teeth, um, which is maybe something that uh, we're doing a little, not as uh, strong a cadence as we used to be when we were uh, in a social distancing environment. But as you brush your teeth on a, at least, uh, hopefully uh, multiple times a day, um, just be mindful of the sensation as the, as the toothbrush hits your teeth, the sensation, the taste of the toothpaste. And those three uh, very easy and accessible exercises will unlock many of the benefits of mindfulness, uh, as many of the benefits of mindfulness as you know, sitting down, closing your eyes and, and going into uh, a meditative state. So with that, uh, I'm gonna hand it off to Erica and uh, I'll give it to you, Erica. Hello, um, I'm Erica Malkas. Sam mentioned I'm a dietitian in Seattle, Washington, and I practice from this lens called Health at Every Size. And one of the reasons I'm so passionate about this lens is because, or basically even what it does, is it us, allows us to focus solely on health behaviors and the things that we're doing to support health without focusing on weight, because weight is actually not a behavior at all. 
Um, and the research really shows that the behaviors that we're doing, the things like getting enough sleep, managing stress, eating in a way that supports our body, being having a social life or you know, Zoom life now, I guess that's kind of what it really is. Um, all of those things really help support health. So I've found that by working through that lens, I'm actually able to help people achieve a lot more change and feel a lot better in their bodies than just solely focusing on the weight side of things. With that is also this idea of intuitive eating that Sam also mentioned. And this is just really um, connecting mind and body when you're eating, but it's different from mindful eating in that it's actually just trying to it's a self-affirming method. And I think that's kind of the difference with mindful eating is that every act that you're choosing to do from this idea of, my, of intuitive eating is a choice to respect your body. And that doesn't necessarily mean that the food is always going to be something that we consider healthy that respects the body, but it's choosing to listen to eat when you're hungry and stopping when you're full and sometimes having food just because it is pleasurable and just because it is satisfying. I also think, you know, I've seen a shift with how a lot of us are thinking about nutrition when it comes to COVID-19. Um, I've been seeing that a lot in my clients. I've even been kind of experiencing it within my family um, and things like that. So I want to talk a little bit about that today, but I thought I'd give a little bit more background about myself first. Um, I've been a dietitian for the last seven years and I became a dietitian because I really felt that we needed to have delicious food in our lives. When people think about health so often, it just becomes a very bland style of eating and it doesn't have a lot of pleasure and it actually doesn't add a lot to our life. And one of the reasons we have taste buds and one of the reasons that we can smell is because food is there and those things are supposed to help give us pleasure. And they do. And they give us, they, they increase the satisfaction that we have in life. And I wanted to make sure that more people felt that they could access that. Part of the reason that I am so passionate about food is I um, spent seven years in Japan growing up there. Uh, I graduated high school there and that really impacted a lot of how I think about life and a lot of how I think about food and I think a lot of the intentionality of life. Um, you know, Sam was talking about resilience and I think I was also in a military family, so I was an Air Force brat and that helped build resilience in of itself just because I think having to move every three years forces a lot of resilience, but I think even within these times, even within COVID-19, I've had to rediscover some of the things that have really helped me stay resilient. And I love that Sam mentioned humor. That's one of the ones I've really been holding on to very dearly because laughter sometimes really is the best medicine. So let's talk a little bit more about food when it comes to this environment right now. You know, it's, there's been a pretty dramatic change. Many of us are now probably only going to the grocery store maybe twice a week, uh, once every two weeks or once every three weeks. As a result, fresh fruits and vegetables maybe seems to be a little bit more of a commodity. Sometimes when we are at the grocery store, we can't even find a lot of the things we want. I know flour, tofu, chicken sometimes has even been a little bit scarce as well. So it changes how we're thinking about food. But I think the theme that I'm really seeing a lot for a lot of people is that food has started to sometimes feel like it's the enemy right now because it's always present. I'm finding that a lot of people are feeling like they can't really stop eating it. They're feeling like, you know, they're having or kind of uncontrolled around it. Everyone is really worrying about what's going to happen to their body size during this time. So it seems like everyone is really struggling with what food means to us right now as a result, partially of the scarcity mindset, but also because we are around it so much. So why is this important to think about? Because, you know, I think if we can shift food from thinking of it as maybe the enemy to thinking about how we can actually utilize a lot of the food that we have and a lot of our mindset around food to make us more resilient, it might actually make our relationship with food right now potentially more supportive. So one thing I'm really encouraging is thinking about food as the piece for satisfaction and enjoyment. You know, before staying at home, before living in, you know, whatever square footage that you're confined to now, we had a whole cornucopia of things that brought us satisfaction and enjoyment and pleasure, you know, social life for some of those pieces, maybe being creatively challenged, intellectually challenged, even just the newness that we saw when we were out moving and um, maybe even just commuting to work sometimes. And now that really has just been taken and shrunken down to whatever we have at home. So I'm finding that for a lot of people, food is one of the primary things. And there's nothing wrong with that. 
what I think the best way to harness that to make yourself potentially be more resilient is when you are eating, allow yourself to taste and enjoy that food, to really be aware of what you're putting into your mouth. You know, smell the first couple aromas that come out, look at the texture, almost think of it just the first bite at least, sort of like a mindful eating exercise where you're kind of examining the fork that you have and are looking at it almost like through a child's eyes, looking at all the different textures, looking at all the different colors if there are some. And then you put it in your mouth and then you pay attention to what it feels like there and how, it's, how it feels in your mouth and the textures. And then you start to chew and feel it as you swallow it. All of that can actually make you more resilient by really increasing the awareness that your brain has of that eating experience and allowing your brain and body to both have the ultimate satisfaction and pleasure from that. And especially for foods that maybe you're feeling, um, you know, a lot of pe people have been telling me that things like snack foods, um, candy, cookies, ice cream, all of those are feeling a little bit more irresistible right now. And sometimes I think that that actually has to do with, you know, this time, if we're thinking about it, is a little bit bitter. There is grief attached to it. And those foods tend to be things that are kind of contrasting that. They tend to be sweeter things or foods that when, when life is pretty bitter or sour, we want foods that counteract that because that does also take us out of this potentially bitter mindset or this potentially grief-filled mindset and actually make us feel better. So again, if you're eating any of those foods, and I know that I am, you know, because they are pretty delicious, um, I had some, what did I have last night? Oh, I had the dark chocolate caramel filled bar candy or something like that. It was super delicious. And when I ate it, I made sure that I wasn't in front of the TV, that I wasn't on my phone, that I was really having and enjoying it and allowing myself to get satisfaction from it. Because right now we don't have very many things that we can get satisfaction from. And food is one of the most amazing things that we can. Um, another thing I'm seeing a huge increase in, and understandably so, is boredom eating. This is important because you know we have our, our days and our routines have shifted to be probably a little bit more, I don't really want to use the word monotonous because I think words are really powerful, but just less variety. Um, and because of that, when we have food, sometimes that is a trigger, not a trigger, it like tickles our brain. It's like, ooh, this is new, this is exciting. And so that's one reason why boredom eating is sometimes happening a little bit more. Additionally, if you're finding like late at night, for example, and you're watching TV that you have the habit that you want to snack, sometimes that's also actually boredom because sitting and watching TV at night, even though it might be some good brain off time, it's not the most exciting activity. So pairing it with eating, our brain feels like it's actually a little bit more exciting too. So those are three things that I think potentially shifting the mindset on, potentially shifting what we're doing with food in those instances could really help us be more resilient in these times. So let's talk a little bit about what you can do right now to add in at home to support these things. The first thing I recommend is to aim to eat something about every three to four hours. And I know that this is completely opposite than a lot of the hot topic, intermittent fasting and things like that that you might've been hearing about or seeing now. Why do I recommend about every three to four hours? That's actually the amount that our body has fuel stores for from the food that we've been eating from meal to meal, for example. So it's not requiring our body to go get energy from within our cells, and it's actually just allowing our body to utilize the energy that we are eating. Um, when you're choosing something to eat, you know, yes, chips sound amazing, but chips actually aren't going to give your body as much of a boost in terms of longer lasting energy than if you had chips and a yogurt dip, for example because the yogurt dip's gonna have some good protein there. So that protein-carbohydrate combo is something that can actually potentially help support energy and stress levels as well. The research really shows when you've got something that's got a good carb, carbohydrate and protein combo, and carbohydrates are things like fruits, um, bread, pasta, crackers, some vegetables. Good ones for snacks tend to be like rice cakes, um, crackers, Dried fruit is another really great one, or a whole piece of fruit. And then protein for snacks or meals. Um, protein is going to be nuts and seeds, um, beans and lentils. We'll do uh, chicken and beef and pork and fish and tofu, edamame. So anytime you can do at least those with any of your meals, it actually shows that it helps keep your stress level down a little bit more so that you can be more resilient throughout these times. So fueling your body about every three to four hours and at least having something that has that carbohydrate and protein combo 
that can actually help keep your baseline cortisol and stress level a little bit more even. When you go longer than three to four hours without that, that actually starts to increase some of your cortisol level because your brain is actually starting to wonder where the next energy is coming from. So it's going to start to turning on, turn on some of that cortisol so that you're looking a little bit more for that energy. So being proactive about that and making sure that you're choosing those two foods of the carbohydrate and protein combo that could potentially really help keep that stress level a little bit more manageable. Another thing I recommend doing right now just to make sure you're being a little bit more resilient with food is to think about a variety of textures when it comes to food. This is one way to also help keep it interesting and to keep it exciting. So when you're thinking about food and you're thinking about what sounds good, think about maybe temperature first. Does hot or cold food sound good? Does creamy or crunchy food sound good? Does salty or sweet or umami? Does something that maybe has a little bit of a combination of a crunchy creamy? So maybe like a salad with a uh, yogurt dressing or some blue cheese in it, right? That's got a little of the crunchy creamy there. All of those different textures actually make the food first off more satisfying, but also allow our brain to really get a lot of pleasure and satisfaction from playing around with food like that and having that different variety of texture. Next, and I know this one is incredibly challenging, eat with fewer distractions. How many times have you sat in front of a TV or computer screen or even on your phone and maybe you have a snack and maybe, maybe you were proactive and you put it in a nice little bowl and then before you know it, you look down and everything is gone and you don't remember eating it. So then you go get more. That, I, mean, that, I know that's pretty common. I've, I'm, I'm guilty of that too myself. And one of the reasons why we want more after that point when we've looked down and the bowl is empty is because we actually didn't give our brain the opportunity to experience it or our body the opportunity to experience it. We were just kind of, you know, putting it in our mouth and not really connecting. Our mind was allowed to completely wander and to not pay attention to what we were doing. So before we knew it, it was all gone. So I'm not expecting every single breakfast, lunch, and dinner and snack to turn into a half an hour affair where you're paying attention to every bite and eating it super slowly. That's not a realistic world. And I think that that, um, at some point potentially would just become monotonous in of itself. So if possible, eat with slightly fewer distractions for at least one meal or one snack a day. If that's not an option, here's one that might be a little bit more accessible. So for at least one meal a day, but if possible, all three. For the first bite, try to eat it as undistracted as possible. For the middle bite, again, try to eat it as undistracted as possible. And for the last bite, or what you're feeling like might be the last bite in terms of how you're feeling fullness-wise, or maybe the last bite on the plate, again, just be mindful of that. So it's, again, trying to eat it, paying attention to the textures, the aromas, the smells, the flavors, how it feels in your mouth, how it feels going down, all of those different pieces. And then another thing is pay attention to what changes between that first, middle, and last bite. This, again, can allow our bodies to really just have that ultimate satisfaction from the food that you are giving it and the fuel that you are giving it. So that can really increase the enjoyment that we can get from some of those pieces. And then lastly, this one's pretty important right now. Think about self-compassion because these are very challenging times and food is pleasure and food does give us satisfaction and food does give us enjoyment. And there aren't very many of those things right now potentially. So if you find yourself reaching towards it more, give yourself a little bit more self-compassion and instead of beating yourself up or thinking that you should be doing all of these hardcore things during these unprecedented times, take a step back. And if you were going to talk to someone else who was feeling badly about these things, would you just be beating them up also? Probably not. And a lot of times we find that we're beating ourselves up instead. So just think about this element as well. If you're finding that food really is continuing to be a big distraction or food is something that you are feeling uncontrolled around, I highly recommend reaching out to a dietitian. You could reach out to me, of course. But I really want food to try to be something that can help us be a little bit more resilient during this time and maybe even feel a little bit more connected to ourselves. Um, thank you. And we'll Great. have questions at the end, right, Sam? Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Erica. So one th thing that I should have mentioned um, before Erica kicked off, if you have any questions, uh, please, there's a Q&A uh, box down at the bottom. So if you click that Q&A, there's also a chat room, a Zoom chat room. So, you know, if there's information that you're coming across that you find interesting or compelling, or if you have information that could complement what is talked about, what I talked about, what Chris is going to talk about, uh, please drop it into that chat room. Uh, 
you know, I'm looking at some of the names of the people that I'm familiar with on the attend. I know that some of you out there have a lot of incredible insights and tools. So if uh, something comes to me, drop it in. And uh, with that, I will hand it to Krista. Hi, everyone. Um, I'm going to do it a little bit differently. And I have a few slides that I'd like to share uh, as I talk through this. Can everybody see that? Okay. All right, so uh, movement. Um, and so my name is Krista Steinbach. I'm a certified Soma Yoga teacher. Um, and if you don't know what Soma Yoga is, it's um, kind of a slower kind of yoga um, that really works with the brain body. And um, it really deals with kind of interoception. So um, sensing and feeling what's happening in our body and bringing consciousness to um, those um, experiences to um, maybe change them if they're not supporting us or just have awareness of them. And so, um, you know, I, I really think of movement as I'm thinking about how to build resilience through movement. I really thought of it as um, a gateway to presence. And, um, you know, the way to get to presence is really through awareness. And as Sam and Erica both mentioned, um, you know, I think it's so important for us to have that um, and it can serve us so well. Um, and so with that, uh, um, and so here's a little bit more about Soma Yoga. Um, you know, it's, it really deals with somatics. So every experience that we um, have is like held in our body at some place. Um, and, you know, when we're born, we really, you know we're born perfect right and we are in a perfect form and then throughout our lives we develop these habits and um and these habits that either service or don't and so for example like um you know maybe i'm maybe my shoulders are a little bit rounded forward um and so that's um my body has kind of lost um memory of how to hold those shoulders back and so through soma yoga we can really bring um, confidence and awareness back to that neural pathway um, to bring those shoulders not just to hold them back but to unconsciously um, reawaken that pathway so that we can um, we can move back to a, a form that's more natural and that will bring us more ease and um, therefore more energy and comfort throughout our daily lives um, and so um, one thing that I wanted to mention uh, that has been really helpful to me, um, I've, I follow um, this gentleman's podcast named Jacko. He's a former Navy SEAL, um, and he does a lot of work with leadership and discipline. And um, he, in one of his speeches, said, you know, every second becomes, turns into a minute, into a, an hour, a week, a month, and a year. And so, um, it's very simple and it's very straightforward, but as I thought about that and I think about time, it, it brought me to um, presence in realizing, you know, yesterday, um, you know, in this, in this time when we're all at home with our families um, and just feeling some additional stress, um, maybe yesterday I was a little unkind to my husband or impatient with my daughter, or um, maybe I ate, three pieces of banana bread when I really only planned on eating one. Um, those are all things that happened in the last second. And so what I can do is I can focus on this second and I can bring, bring presence here to this second and to the next one. And I can make a choice to, um, to, to work with that second and to live with intention and, um, and to build something that serves me better. And so, um, so yeah, so that's kind of, you know, I think through awareness and through movement of our bodies and bringing um, that awareness there, we can really bring presence and then choice. And so because, um, you know, this is a movement um, section, I wanted to bring a little bit of this to you guys so that we can experience it. And so um, today we'll practice a few different tools. Um, they're very simple practices. Um, you don't need any um, any props or anything. They're just 
um, simply there for us. And so the first one is um, a tense and release practice. And so that's, um, it's, it's kind of, it's a, um, a tenant of Soma Yoga where um, it's really pendiculating through um, a movement. And so really, and as we do it, we sense and feel internally what's happening and we can sense um, the, the tension and then we can sense the release. Um, and then, uh, and that's the real, the focus of that one is really awareness. And so the second one is, um, is a breath practice. And um, I really use that as a way to calm my nervous system. Um, and our breath uh, is so powerful um, and it, it can, it can um, bring so much calm so that we're able to really make, um, make better choices. And so with that, I think we'll move into the first practice um, of tense and release. So if everyone can just kind of find a nice, comfortable place, um, seated or laying or whatever feels good, and just know that um, you can see us, but I can't see you. So no one's watching you. Um, and so I'll take a breath here. You can put your hands on your legs um, and close your eyes. And just start to bring awareness into this moment. You can feel your breath move in and out. And then start to bring your awareness to your shoulders. And if it feels right, you can maybe start to pinch your shoulders. Just bring awareness there. And we'll start to slowly raise our shoulders up to our ears. Go slower than you think you should. And as you get to the top, hold that. And pause. And sense and feel how that feels. Where are you feeling tension? In your shoulders, in your neck, your ears. Chest. And then slowly start to release that down. Maybe going 5% slower than you think you should, or than you are now. And as you release, just really sensing and feeling how that feels. Maybe you feel some jumpiness. Maybe it felt smooth, maybe it felt fast or slow. There's no right or wrong answer. Just noticing what's happening in your body. And so when you get to the bottom, just pause here and take a breath again. And notice how that feels. Maybe your shoulders feel lower than you thought they'd go. And then we'll move into that two more times. And this time going 5% slower than you went the last time. As we bring our shoulders up to our ears. And just sensing that tension really noticing how that feels and holding that pausing maybe noticing if it's any different than the time before and then slowly slowly releasing that down Pausing at the bottom for a breath. Internalizing that sense of relaxation in, con in contrast to the tension that you just felt. We'll go one last time. Again, moving 5% slower than the last time. 
Bring those shoulders up to your ears. Feeling that tension. Maybe it doesn't feel quite as tense as before, maybe it does. And then slowly dropping them down. Feeling maybe that jumpiness, the smoothness. And pausing at the bottom for another breath. And then we can come back into the room and just noticing how that feels in your body. And maybe hopefully now after some slow movements, you feel a little bit more calm. Maybe your shoulders feel a little more relaxed. Um, and so for me, that experience is, um, it, you know, it's, it's one that brings awareness. And so um, when I first did that, I realized, you know, a week, the next week, I, I started to realize um, how often I was like this, you know, as I'm sitting at my computer, which I was doing quite a bit at the time, working on spreadsheets or sending an email or, um, any of those work-related activities, um, how often I would bring my shoulders up. And because I was doing that practice and I, I brought that awareness to what does that, what does tension feel like? And what does a relaxed state feel like? I could start to, I, I would bring awareness to that, oh, my shoulders are up. And then I just relax them down, you know? And so the more we can do that throughout our day, um, and bring that awareness there, the more we can start to release those patterns and the more we can start to just have awareness of how we're moving our body um, and how we can create more ease so that we have more energy to be able to do other things. And so I hope that practice is helpful. You can also do that, you know, the shoulders are an easy one, but you can do that um, with, with any other um, parts of your body. You can, you know, it's, it's really a, a practice of awareness. So you could do that with your hands, you can do it with your toes, um, just anywhere you can bring tension. And so for the next one, um, we'll do a little breath practice. And so um, again, if you can just find a comfortable place in your chair. And for this one, we're really just bringing awareness to our breath. And this is, um, a place of true presence for us. Um, and so you can close your eyes again. Just find yourself seated in this room with a breath. And that will we'll work with the first mantra. And so you, you can place your right hand on your belly and your left hand on your heart. Just feel the breath. Just notice how that feels. Noticing if it's smooth or choppy. Notice if your belly is moving more or your chest. This is really just an exploration of your breath so you can become familiar with it. Because with awareness, we can bring consciousness and presence there. And so on your next inhale, we'll say just. And on your exhale, this. Yeah. And as you breathe, you can start to 
Maybe elongate that exhale. You may start to find your mind wandering and try to bring it back to this moment. Just this. And then another mantra we can try is on your next inhale. I calm my body and mind. And on your exhale, I smile. And maybe as you say, I smile, you smile. We can start to bring that to a close. Again, maybe rub our hands together. Bringing heat and energy here. And then bring that to our eyes, into our heart. And hopefully that brings you some peace and hopefully you feel a little calmer now than you did a few moments ago. And so by using our breath, we can really bring, um, we're able to create a pause so that we can make choices, um, choices to, um, to, to do things that serve us better. And so with that, Sam, I'll hand it off to you. Great, thank you, Krista. Uh, that definitely helped me as my mind was kind of a little bit jumpy from um, dropping the uh, the computer screen, got me back into my senses. So thank you. Um, so uh, we've got a little bit of time here for Q&A. If there's any questions, we've got a couple questions in queue here. If there's any additional questions, uh, please drop them into the Q&A. Uh, box. Um, one thing that I'll, I'll mention as I was going through this, uh, this last experience with Krista, you know, for, for a lot of you, this, that experience um, may be uncomfortable, right? Uh, I remember the first experience that I had in going through one of these guided uh, mindfulness experiences. And ironically, it was in the same room, um, separated by about three to four months of when I was a you know, kind of a corporate road warrior to when I became a social entrepreneur. And I was in the exact same room um, where four months prior to going through an experience like this, I was wearing a suit, um, you know, eating red meat, drinking red wine for one of these four hour dinners. And in that exact same room, four months later, I was going through a guided meditation session with one eye open, looking around thinking, are people actually doing this? Um, what I've learned through that experience is that these tools work. Um, and over time, they start to, once they become more habitual and routine, you know, it's something that's intangible. You can't put your finger on it immediately and say, um, or maybe you can, maybe an experience like that, you feel more centered, you feel more grounded, anxiety is lower, stress is lower, you feel more focused, you feel more creative, energized. Um, so maybe it is tangible in that sense, but it's, it's like anything, it's like a muscle, you have to continue to work and build. And so, um, having this cloak of an, an, anonymity, I think, is, is, a, is a positive. I think of the former me having an experience like this uh, would have been great. But just to say that, uh, you know, three years into this experience um, and having tools like that, uh, it's accessible and it, it's powerful and it works. Um, so two quick questions. Uh, one, just to piggyback on Krista, so what you just talked about or what you just walked through right there, can you just talk real briefly about the connection between mind and body, the just as a as a cornerstone of soma yoga, like how breathing and how a technique like that helps us um, from a psychological perspective in building resilience. Sure. Um, well, I think I think the main thing is just uh, is is how the 
you know, our mind really is what controls our body, right? And also our body can control our mind. So it's kind of, it goes hand in hand. And the more um, we can bring awareness and um, we, can, we can find ways to make choices that will, um, will bring us back to center and to be able to listen really to ourselves, I think, um, is something that is difficult. You know, it's not, and I think especially in our Western culture, it's not something that we're used to doing. Um, so um, being able to go internal and listen to yourself and be able and being able to um, to to make choices to like to um, to bring your mind into the space that you want and it's it's all about intention I guess kind of like what you were talking about Sam but um, and I, I think you know in Soma Yoga we talk about this infinity sign and so um, it's you know like a gateway to this presence is really through movement it you know our, our body it's, it's like an easy way like this is my body this is my hand i can feel this i can move this and but through being conscious about that and being intentional and feeling like i'm moving my fingers like what does that feel like you know getting quiet and listening to that um, it brings your mind into your body. And um, when you start to find that awareness and you, you, you find that simple sensation and that, um, that gift, then you can start to bring that into other pieces. And so you can, um, you know, if you're feeling anxiety, especially during times like this, you can start to, if, if you have that awareness, oh, this is, you know, this is my hand, I'm going to move it. Um, you can start to say, oh, you know, I'm starting to feel anxiety. Well, well, one, where am I feeling that in my body? Is it in my chest? Is it in my um, hips? Is it, is it in my stomach? Um, and so just going internal and like feeling that first. And then second, um, realizing that we have the um, ability to make a choice to change that. And so by, I think the main thing um, that I've learned is, is through um, breath work. Um, we can really find that center and find some calming um, and create space so that we can feel that and we can also um, find ways to, to change that because we all have that power to do that. We just have to find the, the space and the awareness to be able to do it. Yeah, thank you. So there's there's um, some research that talks about how life experience is 30% um, rational and 70% emotional. And so how do you tap into those emotions in a positive way, uh, you know, drawing awareness? Um, next question is for Erica. Uh, so I'm going to kind of compartmentalize another question. So there's one question about um, foods that support the nervous system, help build immunity uh, in the COVID-19 era? And then um, are there go-to delivery and services? So this comes from Mark. Are there go-to delivery and services that would be good to try, in particular in the Seattle market? And what do you think about ready-to-drink meals like Soylent? Great questions. Um, so the ready-to-eat meal services in the Seattle area, the two I like is Maven and Kerala, I think. Yeah, K-E-R-A-L-A. -A. Those are two that I really enjoy. Um, sometimes you might need to adjust a little bit with some of the meals, add a little bit more carbohydrates here, add a little more, more protein there, depending on how the meal feels satisfying. But those are two of my favorites in the Seattle area. Um, meals like Soylent, they are a great idea because nutritionally they are supposed to be you know, I think what three of them is supposed to be in theory, what a human needs per day in terms of carbohydrates, protein, fats, and vitamins and minerals. What the research really shows though, when it comes to things like liquids, and this includes smoothies as well, is that they actually are not as satisfying to our body. And we are hungrier sooner when we have something that's liquid versus when we actually have the mechanical act of chewing and swallowing because that does start the digestion process. So something about that actually triggers something to our body to find more nourishment and satisfaction and enjoyment from the food versus drinking. Um, so they are in theory a great idea. 
um, they're just not going to be as satisfying and you might actually find yourself hungrier sooner if you're trying to do something like a liquid diet or soylent or something like that. Um, for foods that help support the nervous system or immunity or things like that, um, for the nervous system piece, actually carbohydrates is one of the primary ones because that does really just help keep the nervous system at performing at more of a consistent baseline versus finding a lot more variation in terms of moving up and down. So again, that can be things like sweet potato, brown rice, um, it could be squashes and turnips. And if you wanted to go a little bit more like plant focused from that mindset, um, quinoa, farro, barley, all those types of things could be some good options. When it comes to immunity with food, the research really shows that food actually works as one whole group to really help support us. Um, you know, there's the idea of superfoods, for example, but even if you just ate the superfood, you would, let's go with kale. I know that that's one that people think of as a superfood. It has a lot of vitamins and minerals and things that can really help support us. But if you only focused on that, you'd actually be missing out on a lot of the other powerful like antioxidants and things that are in a wide variety of foods. Um, I think of it a lot of the times in terms of actually like cancer prevention as well. There's not one food that prevents cancer actually. It really shows, the research really shows that it's the combination of things, focusing on getting a variety of different plants so that you have a lot of different antioxidants, a, little, a lot of different vitamins and minerals and things like that. Um, vitamin C sales have shot up through the roof since COVID-19 because obviously everyone thinks that that's going to help protect the immune system. And potentially um, vitamin C has a lot of impact for us. But it's really a lot of the time when it comes with things like being in an orange that has all that extra fiber that has all those different antioxidants that that in unison really protects us more. So there isn't one food or there isn't one supplement that I recommend specifically for immune support is really focusing on what you're getting throughout the entire day, as well as making sure that you're hydrated enough to really help support those pieces. I think I got everything. I think you did. That's great. Thank you, Erica. Uh, so Krista, we're, we're about at time here. Just a, one quick question coming from Ashton. Um, weight training, good alternative or can it make it worse tied to soma yoga or somatics? What's the soma yoga? Um, in in 30 seconds proper, or less. With proper form, I think it's a great thing yeah. for health okay. and everything. Yeah. Okay, great. <laughs> Thank you. Sorry to put you on the, on the time there. Um, so uh, thank you, everybody. Just a couple uh, quick final uh, remarks, and then we'll wrap this up. So um, on uh, every Wednesday at 2 o'clock Pacific time, uh, I host something called Wellbeing Wednesday. You can find more information at wellbeing-wednesdays.com. Every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Uh, uh, Pacific, uh, we talk about one of the dimensions of well-being. Uh, it's really designed 45-minute conversation to get connection with others and you build a simple uh, seven-day plan to be more intentional about that particular topic. Um, next week we are going to tackle the social dimension of well-being. So we're on week seven, uh, started right around when quarantine stay at home started. Um, contact information for all the speakers will be sent via email. Um, and if you're interested in more information from the nutrition side, from the movement side, from the mindset side, uh, just follow up with any combination of the three of us. If you're interested on coaching from an individual perspective or you're interested in well-being programming for your organization, uh, please reach out and let us know. And uh, thank you for your time. I'll leave you with one last final remark and that's um, this combination of responsibility and choice. Uh, I think we all have a responsibility right now um, to really acknowledge what's happening in the world. Um, and, uh, you know, some of the suffering and pain that's happening, uh, a lot of the great things that are happening. Um, but then once we have that, we kind of tap into that responsibility, we have a choice on what to do with it. And that comes back to this reticular activator. Um, what do we want to look at and how do we want to be, and how do we want to show up? How do we want to be remembered, um, a year from now, a decade from now? a uh, hundred years from um, so zooming out and thinking beyond just the moment um, you know arming yourself and equipping yourself with the tools to be more resilient can often come in the form of that responsibility and choice and so 
Uh, thank you for attending. Uh, stay safe, everybody. And we'll follow up with some uh, additional information via email. Take care. Thank you.